You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103. 3.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I will only say this once because I lost my father seven years ago. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. So many great fathers out there that take care of their kids and love their kids and show everything they want when it comes to compassion to their children. And I had a great father. He passed away seven years ago. It's been real, really hard on my family. But I want to wish every single father out there a very happy Father's Day. Yes. Shout out to all the people as well that lost their fathers like yourself. Shout out to those families. We're thinking of you on the weekend crunch. I'm sure your father's meant a lot to you, Errol. And uh, shout out to my father and all the fathers in my family as well. Happy Father's Day. And also giving a shout out to two different sides of the family. Cousin on my father's side of the family and an uncle on my mother's side of the family that all have birthdays tomorrow as well. Happy birthday to them. We have a very great show lined up for you guys a little bit later in the show. We will be talking to former Broncos, Ravens and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Rice. He is fantastic. This will be the second time on our show. He, he's just a great interview, and I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy this interview as we get him on again on the show. A lot to get into. The Nuggets win the NBA Finals. What does that say moving forward for the Nuggets, as I believe they're the next dynasty in the NBA? The Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup. Knock off the Cinderella Florida Panthers. We remember the 96 Cinderella Florida Panthers. Now, this year, in 2023, the Cinderella Matthew Kachuk the Florida Panthers this year were doing so well and then get knocked off by a very hot and talented Golden Knights team. The Rangers officially hired Peter LaViolette as their new head coach. What does this do for the Rangers moving forward as they hire one of the top 10 head coaches in NHL history? Another sticky substance violation in the Subway Series, this time against Mets reliever Drew Smith. The Yankees have been caught three times and now the Mets being caught twice. Why the MLB thing? The New York teams are just full of cheating scandals. I think it's ridiculous, but the Yankees and the Mets are the only teams that have really been caught as much as they have. I think everybody's doing it. Dalvin Cook says he will not settle for a $5 million contract with his next team. What does that spell? Is it spell Miami? Does it spell somebody else? Maybe it spells the Broncos. Saquon Barkley says he is considering the Giants' offer of $12 million per year. He sees the Giants right now as the only team that's making a bid that high and he wants to make sure that he is protected for the next three to four years, so maybe they come to a negotiations, and I think they will, because he is their best player. If you look at their roster right now, who's better than Saquon Barkley? And the answer is, nada. I don't want to hear about Daniel Jones, or Dexter Lawrence, or any of these guys. None of those guys are Saquon Barkley. It would be a catastrophic loss if they lose him. We'll see what happens. Saquon has said some interesting things. He says they still have to a certain time to see if they can come to negotiation of contract. I don't think he's worried about it, but the Giants and Saquon Barkley's team is talking extension. We have Moneyline Mania and, of course, Crunch Time. So why don't we get
get into it. The NHL Stanley Cup Finals. I really thought the Stanley Cup Finals was going to be closer. And I think when you watch the Golden Knights play all season long under a new coach, under a new style of game, this was the first year Jack Eichel played in a full season. This is a guy that comes from the Buffalo Sabres organization. A lot of people question the Buffalo Sabres trading away their young superstar. If you look at what Vegas gave up for Jack Eichel, they didn't give up as much as a lot of people thought Jack Eichel was worth before his injury. Jack Eichel showed up in the playoffs, as well as 11 other players on this Vegas night team. The Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup four games to one versus the Panthers. Their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Vegas became the second fastest team in history to win their first championship. Only the Oilers won a Stanley Cup faster since becoming an expansion team. Vegas is the first team to score nine goals in a Stanley Cup game in history. The Golden Knights have made four conference finals appearances in their six seasons of existence in the NHL. Vegas had 11 different players scoring over 10 points in the playoffs and four different players scoring over 20 points. Jonathan Marchessault won the Conn Smythe Trophy finishing with 13 goals and 11 assists in the playoffs. Marchessault is a former Florida Panther selected by Vegas in the expansion draft. The Vegas Knights all season long were practically the best team in the Western Conference. Last year, the Colorado Avalanche, they were basically the best team in the Western Conference. This is back-to-back years. The Western Conference conference won a Stanley Cup. I look at the Golden Knights and what they did this year to really stand out more than a lot of the last couple of NHL championships. And there's a lot of reasons why. One, this team has only been around for six seasons. They have gone to the conference finals four out of the six times. This is an expansion team. The Golden Knights has a first year coach in Bruce Cassidy that comes from the Boston Bruins organization where a lot of people were taking shots At the Golden Knights this season, maybe because the Boston Bruins this year had a record-breaking year. They went to the Stanley Cup playoffs as the best team in NHL history. Had one of the greatest goaltending stances in NHL history in Allmark. Had the best goals against, the best save percentage, the best win-to-loss statistic in NHL history. But nevertheless, with their first-year coach, the Boston Bruins, they get knocked out by the eight-seed Florida Panther team that barely skimmed into the playoffs. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for the Penguins losing their final game and the Blue Jackets just screwing everything up, the Florida Panthers would have never made the playoffs. And obviously, the Florida Panthers don't go to Stanley Cup Finals and play team. The fact is, Bruce Cassidy, as a first-year coach in Las Vegas change the culture for this team in their history. And you look at a team, like you were saying with Colorado too, that has so many good skaters and can play so many different ways too. We look at the Western Conference as a lot of these powerhouse offensive teams. Everyone was loving Edmonton at one point. Everyone was loving Dallas at certain points in the postseason, but Vegas had the most complete team of everything. They had four lines deep, a lot of original guys from when they first had the expansion drafts carried over, but they also made some great trades too. Mark Stone, who's become their captain, Jack Eichel, Chandler Stevenson had a great postseason as well. All these guys are very well-rounded. Petrangelo. Petrangelo was a huge trade, too. I thought at one point was the best defenseman in the NHL. You've got two guys from the Kings that have cup experience. Shea Theodore is a very good young one, too. And they have a great compilation of skaters that can play so many different styles of hockey. And wingers that can play center and vice versa. They're as versatile as it gets. That's what makes it very hard to game plan for them. And I give the Florida Panthers a lot of credit because Florida took down a lot of juggernaut offenses so far in this postseason. The Bruins and the Leafs especially. But finally, their defensive depth got exposed. Great run for them. But And 
wins here just to bust off Vegas. This might be the best chance Bobrovsky would have to yes. win a Stanley Cup. He's been in the league for a while, and he's making $10 million a year. I don't know how long the Florida Panthers are going to keep Bobrovsky on their payroll. This is a guy that's an aging goaltender. He might have another good year in him. I do believe the Florida Panthers are a team to be reckoned with next year. They have a great farm system with Matthew Kachuk playing the way he did in the playoffs and the way this team came together at the end of the season. This team is going to be a dangerous team. They were a dangerous team the year before as they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They get knocked off as well as the Boston Bruins. In the same way, last year, it happened this year to the two best teams in the Eastern Conference getting knocked out. You look at the Eastern Conference, if you look at the Metropolitan Division, it's the hardest division to play in. The East is as good or better than the Western Conference is, but back-to-back years, the Western Conference has pulled off a championship win. Last five years, the Metropolitan Division hasn't made the Stanley Cup either. It's been the Bruins three times with the Lightning, and then now Florida. It's been unbelievable. And congratulations to Bruce Cassidy and the Las Vegas Knights. Well-deserved. A team that earned their spot, earned the credit to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. They went through so many good teams. Even Dallas, they were an easy team to beat. They went through a very hard schedule of the Western Conference to get all the way into the Stanley Cup. Hill showing up, a fifth-string goaltender. Before the season started, he wasn't even on this roster. When you get a hot goalie in the playoffs, anything is possible. Aiden Hill was absolutely hot getting into the playoffs. Flew through the playoffs all the way into the Dallas series. He was untouchable. He lost two games that really stuck out in the Western Conference Finals. And then he goes to the Stanley Cup and just completely dominates arguably the best goalie throughout the playoffs in Bob Roski, who was impossible to put the puck behind. Aiden Hill just made absolutely spontaneous saves throughout the series and it showed you. Almost sweeping the Florida Panthers, the hot team like the Florida Panthers. I said it. The Florida Panthers having a week off and ending their series as quick as they did, it hurt them. Because they're a young team and a confident team going into the Stanley Cup Finals when they have nothing to lose. The Vegas Knights had a lot to lose. This is a team that's been there before. This is a team that has a Stanley Cup coach and a team that has all the talent in the world. The most talented team throughout the playoffs throughout the season in the NHL. That also could provide more of a sense of urgency, too, for Vegas. It might be championship or bust mentality, too, because they've made all these big trades. They spent a lot of money. If it didn't work again, I mean, is it ever going to work? Also, you look at the NHL playoffs. Last year, Colorado coached it pretty easily. I think they only lost, like, four total playoff games, but you rarely see that kind of dominance be able to carry over, and we also see sweeps in the previous round, resulting in not-so-good the round after. Look at the Islanders' year when they swept the Penguins and got swept by the Hurricanes. Then the Hurricanes got swept by the Bruins. Even Vegas that first year. They beat Winnipeg to get to the Stanley Cup, and then they got smoked by Washington. So you need a little bit of dominance and battle tested in the NHL playoffs. NBA, you can get away with more rest. NHL, not as much. The New York Rangers officially hired Peter LaViolette to be their next head coach on Tuesday. James Dolan said Peter's impressive resume, which includes winning a Stanley Cup and advancing to the finals three different times with three different teams, has made him one of the most respected coaches in the league. Besides goaltender Benoit Allaire, the Rangers have to fill other assistant coach positions. LaViolette has coached 21 years in the NHL with the Islanders, the Hurricanes, the Flyers, the Predators, and the Capitals. LaViolette has 752 wins in his coaching career, eighth most in NHL history. LaViolette has a 32-29 and career playoff record and has three Stanley Cup appearances, winning with the Hurricanes in 2006 and losing as a seventh seed with the 
the Flyers and an eight seed with the Predators in two other appearances. I think this was the best hire, the best available coach for the New York Rangers. All these other guys they were talking about, besides Babcock, who since he's left Detroit has been absolutely horrendous. He went to Toronto. Yep. It was horrendous. He and now he goes to Columbus, another young team. Have he, fun. He couldn't get that team in the playoffs. And when he did get that team in the playoffs, they lose in the first round. They blew a 3-1 lead to the Montreal Canadiens. That says all you need to know. Babcock was not the right fit for Lou Lamorello and that Toronto Maple Leafs team at the time. He gets fired. He's been waiting for an opportunity. Now he goes to the Blue Jackets. You look at the Rangers. There were a couple of names that stuck out the AHL head coach for the New York Rangers organization and Knobloch, who a lot of people thought was a good fit for the New York Rangers. I've heard Mark Messier's name, who, by the way, wasn't even interviewed this year. But a lot of people have said that when he was doing the analyst work over there at TNT, they didn't like what he had to say. Wayne Gretzky had a chance to coach. It didn't work out. Mark Messier's never had a chance, and maybe one day he will. Maybe he won't be with the New York Rangers, but as long as Chris Drury's there, it doesn't seem like he's going to hire Mark Messier. I like this move. When you look at the position that the Rangers were in, they needed to bring in a veteran coach. They needed to bring in a guy that is a team-friendly coach, but a guy that likes that gritty, grindy type of hockey. The Rangers have not had that guy since Tortorello. They brought in Gerard Gallant. Mean guy, has his own way of playing a defensive, offensive style of hockey, but he wasn't that type of grinding coach that I think the Rangers have needed for years. The last time I believe the Rangers were playing top hockey was with Tortorella. And now they have a chance to win with Peter LaViolette, who's won before with one team, the Carolina Hurricanes, and he's been to the Stanley Cup with two other teams. How many coaches get a chance to do that? I think Peter could have won with the Predators. I remember that year and that rise. They were one of the best teams in the NHL. In the NHL Finals, they bumped into a really hot team. They lost against the Penguins, and don't forget that Game 6, too. That goal shouldn't have counted. No. Maybe Nashville wins that series. Yes. Peter LaViolette, he will be introduced next week. I knew him a little bit because that was when I became an Islander fan. So I remember when Mike Milbury introduced Peter LaViolette and then fired him. And I think Peter LaViolette has had a fantastic career. He's been in the league for 21 years. This guy is eighth all time in wins. If he continues coaching for another 10 years, which he possibly can, Peter Laviolette could go down as the greatest coach in NHL history. The Rangers have had a compilation of talent that they should be able to win with more. We've seen big moves, flashy moves, big trades in this front office. Coaches, like you were saying, with Knobloch really developing these players well. There's a couple of concepts, though, that they're missing, and I think Laviolette is definitely going to help fill those. One of which is the forecheck in the playoffs, especially with the forwards themselves. Outside of Kreider and Trocheck and maybe a few of the fourth liners, they didn't really have a lot of forward defense. Their raw defensive depth, I think, is good, but they needed more guys to hit. Scotty Bowman is the all-time winning coach in NHL history. He has 1,244 wins. Peter LaViolette has 752 wins. Peter LaViolette is 58 years old. Usually, if he's a good coach, he'll coach to his late 60s. So if Peter coaches for another seven NHL years, he could pass Scotty Bowman. He's averaging between 40 and 50 wins a season. So he would have to coach another 10 years to break Scotty Bowman's wins record. Can he do it? Yeah. Depending on the team, I don't think he'll be the Rangers coach for 10 years. But I could tell you this. If there's anybody that can bring a championship home to Madison Square Garden is Peter LaViolette. I think he's the perfect fit. He's that grinded type of coach. He's a veteran coach that understands how to win. He's done it with three other teams. He's coached in two different conferences, and he's done it with three different teams. So can he do it with the Rangers? 
absolutely. The question is, where do the Rangers go? Do they bring in grinded type of players? That's what they need to do. They need a grinding type of team. This is what he did in Nashville. This is what he did in Carolina. This is what he did in Philadelphia. This is what he did with the Capitals. As good and as talented as Alexander Ovechkin was, Ovechkin was more of a grinding player when Laviolette was there. Panarin, I don't know if he fits this type of offense. That's something that the Rangers and Chris Drury is going to have to decide to do with this offseason. Are they going to keep Lexis Lafiniere on this roster? Because I just don't think he's a gritty, grinded type of player. Matty Martin is available this offseason from the Islanders. They need to bring in those type of players. You don't need the big-time goal scorers. You need the guys that are going to stand up for the team, stand up for the players. You add that fourth line, that grindy type of line that's going to go out there, forecheck, and do what you need to wear out the other team. And I think they have a good combination of that with their defense. They just need more of it with their forwards. Panarin is a big liability defensively, and that's a big problem. So if they cannot get good trade value, he's going to have to figure something out to at least get him somewhat competent. He's not going to be great, but as Ranger fans, we're going to accept that at this point. And also in the playoffs. Two bad playoffs in a row is unacceptable. We've seen Laviolette coach these teams that are lower seeds. Nashville being an eight, Flyers being a seven, that didn't have as much talent. So now he's got all this talent to work with. And again, an owner that's willing to spend, a GM that's been willing to make big trades when they had to. But they still need to solve that physicality problem and forecheck in the middle of the ice mostly because we see the Devils definitely expose that in the middle of that series. And then also winning faceoffs too. They definitely need center depth no matter who the coach is. When we come back, some basketball as the Denver Nuggets win finally a chance. Championship. No, not with Carmelo Anthony, not with Chauncey Billups, not with Allen Iverson. Nope, with a guy named the Joker. Nikola Jokic wins his first title as he's been the best player in the NBA for the last three years. Murray, Porter, and that cast of players, I believe this is the next dynasty in the NBA. When we come back, we will get into that and much, much more here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths with me and Speedy Petey. Every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Live shows. You can interact, call our shows throughout the network. They are live, and whatever you missed, you go to Apple Podcasts and check out all the shows that you missed, all the interviews that you missed, great shows, great guests, and even crazier calls. So tune in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network throughout the week. It's Father's Day throughout Long Island. A lot of rain this weekend. We need the rain. It was a little humid this week. I don't like this weather, but as it gets hotter, I'm going to hate it even more. Let's make this summer a little bit quicker so the winter and fall can come, and that means football. We'll get into football a little bit later in the show, but there's a lot to get into with the NBA, and we're always trying to find that dynasty. The NBA, every seven to eight years, they have a team that completely dominates the league. Either a team rebuilds through free agency, rebuilds through the draft. But the secret over the last 20 years, it's all about drafting. Look at the teams. You look at the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. Besides some of the pickups like Dennis Rodman, the Chicago Bulls were built around the draft. You look at the dynasty of the Lakers. They built the team around the draft, and then they brought in core players like Shaquille O'Neal. 
They drafted guys like Kobe Bryant and then Hal Gasol and Metta World Peace. But they built it around the draft. But with LeBron James, the league has transitioned and him jumping and building big threes all over the league. Everybody thinks that's the secret. The real secret that we have seen the last 10, 15 years, when you look at the Golden State Warriors, was all about drafting. They brought in a GM that understands how to build through the draft. They draft Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and then Steph Curry. And then throughout free agency, they bring in a Kevin Durant and they bring in different pieces and it helped them win multiple championships and created a dynasty for that time. Now, slowly but surely, the Golden State Warriors are getting older, starting to fall off as an elite team in the NBA. And a new elite team has slowly but surely grown. Nikola Jokic was drafted in the second round. He's been the best player in the league. I thought he should have won the MVP this year. That would have been three years in a row, but he's been the best player in the NBA for four years. When you look at all the talent and all the graceful, superstar, athletic, talented players in the NBA, athletic wouldn't come to mind when you watch Nikola Jokic the way he plays the NBA game. He's a gritty player. He's one of the most dominant forces down the middle because he can pass as good as anybody we've ever seen. He has a weird shot, but he's a great shooter around the perimeter. He has a weird free throw shot. He can hit free throws 80%. The guy does everything right. He could defend multiple positions. He has helped this team and this organization grow ever since they drafted Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo, with all the dominant force teams that they put together for Carmelo Anthony, with Chauncey Billets and Allen Iverson and all the players that they drafted, it didn't work. They couldn't find a way to put this together. One of the very few organizations that haven't won an NBA title. Finally, that hex, that thought that they would never win They finally broke it against the Miami Heat, who they deserve all the credit in the world from Spolstra and Pat Riley, the way they built this team. This is not a very talented Miami Heat team. Losing Tyler Hero throughout the playoffs hurt them. Jimmy Butler's 33, going to be 34 this year. How many years does he have left? Bam Adebayo. He has played fantastic in the playoffs. He made $193 million from them. This team's going to be different next year. They're going to lose free agents. They're going to lose some of the players that were big parts of the growth of the second half Miami Heat team, where they started off so slow and really ended very strong as an eight seed getting into the playoffs and making that run is something that we'll never forget. It was a bold strategy, too, for Eric Spolster at the end of the year, too. He could have fought hard and tried to get that sixth seed and not have to play those extra playing games, but he was comfortable at letting guys rest and load manage, and they said, okay, we can play a couple more games. And they even lost the first play in game to the Atlanta Hawks, too. Remember, they had to win the second one against Chicago, a game they were down, I think, by eight in the fourth quarter. Come back and win that. Then all of a sudden, they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in five games. Yeah, I know Giannis got hurt, but still, winning in five games, that's no slouch. And then they go do it to the Knicks. They go do it to the Celtics. These are all very good teams, well-rounded teams that, on paper, have much more depth and a better identity built than the Miami Heat. But Miami has the coach. They have the executive in Riley, who's always brought a great culture to there, and they showed it again. But eventually, that kind of identity is going to run out when you have two things, one of which all those games being played for a team that, yeah, they have some good young players, but it's pretty much older, and Jimmy Butler really got worn down towards the end. And a team in the Nuggets that have so much size, too. It was just very hard for the Heat to be able to contain, So Aaron Gordon was so dominant in Game 1 and in Game 5 of that series. You mentioned Jokic being fantastic. Porter could be a finesse big man, too. Like, the Nuggets are so crafty, in addition to being so big, too, in addition to the rebounding. And that's the wave of the NBA now. You need wings, forwards that could do so many different things, and this Nuggets team is the epitome of it. The Nuggets 
Nuggets won their first championship in franchise history for the first time, and it's 56 years of a drought that this team has never won an NBA championship. Nikola Jokic became the first player in NBA history to lead in points and assists and rebounds during the playoff run. Jokic set playoff records as being the first player to have over 600 points, 250 rebounds, and 150 assists in a playoff run. Jamal Murray had 10 assists in four of his five NBA final games. The Nuggets only lost four games in the entire postseason, one of the seven teams in NBA history to accomplish that feat. This is one of the best runs, one of the greatest runs in NBA history. Jokic is a Hall of Famer if he were to retire now. He's got a tremendous amount of time to really break a lot of these center records that we might never see broken. As far as the assist record for centers, I think he'll break that in the next two or three years. I just think he's one of those players that we'll never see again after he retires. When we talk about Bill Russell and what he did for centers in that time, and Will Chamberlain, and then Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, the Admiral, and then Tim Duncan, and then this age of Shaquille O'Neal, I don't think we'll ever see a guy like Nikola Jokic. He is a special player. He's a guy that can win multiple championships with this team. This organization is not done. They have a tremendous amount of draft stock for the next five years and the way they position this team and the way these players are still in the primes of their career. They have the right cast around them. They have Malone, who's one of the more underrated coaches in the NBA I think should be coach of the year. This is an amazing story. An organization that's earned it. They did it the right way and now you're seeing that they're starting to develop that chemistry where we're going to see multiple championships. We might see back-to-back championships. We might see a three-peat with this team and the way the NBA is built now how it's so close together and the talent is so dry now in the NBA it's not what it used to be when these big threes just completely dominate I don't think you're going to see that anymore I think when LeBron James decides to go Carmelo Anthony just retired this day of age is gone and I think the old age of the 90s and the 80s when all you need is two superstars and a bunch of good players around you to win I think it's starting to begin to turn that way again and that's where the NBA was at its best. I don't like this three-point shot. It's affected the game. It's hurt the game. I know everybody keeps saying, well, stop being a Steph Curry hater. I think Steph Curry has hurt the game. I think losing that inside type of game has affected the league. It's affected the speed of the game. I think it's hurt the defensive side of the ball as well. And again, you look at an identity of the Nuggets the way they were built, too. Like, they had a lot of guys that were homegrown, and then they brought in their bench from other trades, too, but also traded some good guys that were homegrown, too. Three years ago, the team that went to the Western Conference Finals had a lot of good bench players too. Guys like Monte Morris, PJ Dozier that they drafted in the late first, early second rounds too. And they built the team up that way. Now they brought in some veteran experience. Bruce Brown they got from the Nets. They got Contavious Caldwell-Pope who won the title with the Lakers when they beat the Nuggets in that Western Conference Finals. And they got some playoff experience to go along with that. But the Nuggets have so many different player prototypes that are very hard to judge. Nikola Jokic is probably the most unique prototype we've ever seen at the center position and could go down as one of the best ever. Already is the best passing center ever. And a second round pick. Michael Porter is a six foot ten guy that can play a finesse game too, which is a very unique type thing in today's NBA. Now, there's some European players that have come into the league and doing that now too, but Porter was one of those very high upside prospects too. And Jamal Murray's the same kind of thing too. Like, he's a bigger guard with the skills of a smaller guard. If Jamal is 100% healthy and he comes into the season next year for a full season, he hasn't been this for two years since he tore his ACL. If he continues playing at this rate, they're going to win multiple championships. This team is that good. They're under contract, they're good, and they've built 
built it the right way. They have their own talent, and they could go in free agency this year and bring in another player with the draft stock that they have. They can move certain players that they feel has affected them throughout the season on the bench. They could do a lot of things this offseason that can make this team even better. So you're going to see this team dominate for at least three out of the next five years. I think they're that good, and as long as Jokic stays healthy with Jamal Murray, you can lose Porter. If you keep those two guys healthy and build around those two guys, you're going to win multiple championships. And we also seen the loss of these big three identities too, because they realize that LeBron James is the only one that's been able to do those big threes. You have three max contracts, taking up pretty much your whole cap space and a bunch of vet minimums. Nobody else has won with that identity besides LeBron, and these other middle market teams, like the way the Denver Nuggets are, they're not going to get the flashy free agents, so they knew they had to build that way. As a result, built a good identity. And I think it's going to change the way teams build now. They're going to do more models like the Denver Nuggets, like the Milwaukee Bucks. They get the one superstar. But here's the thing, are they going to wait? A lot of teams are going to try to catch up to the Nuggets, and it's going to be very, very hard. And this offseason, where it's not a big free agency market, and this draft is questionable too. How many good players coming out of this year's draft that could change an organization? Three? Maybe four? The number one pick is a generation type of talent. Maybe San Antonio brings in a Van Leet to play with the kid and then bring in some other free agents on the other side where they can compete in the Western Conference this year with the Nuggets. Again, it takes a little while for a team to develop. Look how long it took the Nuggets to develop with Jokic, Murray, and Porter. They've been together five years before they started to win. That's with the dominance of the Golden State Warriors. So the Western Conference is so very interesting. And then LeBron James, does he stay with the Lakers knowing that the Nuggets are in the Western Conference and they're going to be hard to beat? If he does decide to stay with the Lakers this year, what do the Lakers do this offseason when they can make noise to compete with the Nuggets because that's what they're going to need to do. They're going to need to bring in another superstar to play with Anthony Davis or LeBron James or trade one of those guys or trade Anthony Davis and bring in two other players like a Kyrie Irving or somebody of that magnitude where they can bring home a championship with the Lakers. So there's a lot of thought in this offseason and where some of these teams believe they're going to compete with this Nuggets team, even in the Eastern Conference with the growth of what the Knicks did with Jalen Brunson doing what he did this year as, I believe, the comeback player of the year and really the most improved player of the year. What do they do with Julius Randle? Do they move on with Julius Randle? Maybe they bring in a Zach Levine. Maybe they bring in a Carl Anthony Towns. They're going to need to bring in something. If they want to compete in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee, what are they going to do? Are they going to bring Middleton back? Do they trade Holiday? Maybe they decide to move the Greek freak this offseason because they want to rebuild. The 76ers with a new coach, Joel Embiid, who was crying the river that he wasn't the MVP. Then he becomes the MVP and he's the only player in NBA history to win an MVP and not get to a Western or Eastern Conference Championship Series only tells you one thing. Is he a winner? Is he a me player? Miami believes they could get back there this offseason. Maybe they make a move for Bradley Beal. They've been one of the teams that have spoken about Bradley Beal. Maybe the Celtics decide to move on with Jalen Brown and bring in Bradley Beal to play with Tatum, who are very good friends. But there's going to be some moves that are going to have to be made that's going to transition the NBA Championship next year that maybe they knock off the great and powerful Nuggets. Because if none of these teams do anything anything big or all these teams stay pat and they only add a player here and a player there even if they're half decent they're not going to beat the Nuggets yeah and you look at the depth that a lot of these other teams have they're good depth but at the same time like these other stars either they're too big or they're not good in the playoffs or they have one identity type thing and you look at the Nuggets the way they're built they have so many different ways to win too there's not many teams that could do that you look at the top rosters you look at Milwaukee and the Celtics and I thought the Suns had that but it doesn't look like they're going to have that anymore and a team like the Grizzlies too have that on paper but might have John Morant's spend a 30 games so there's not a lot of teams that could be able to do that right now when we come back some football dalvin cook says he will not settle for a five million dollar contract for whatever new team offers
offers him a contract this offseason now that he is a free agent. Saquon Barkley says he's reconsidering the Giants' offer of $12 million per year, as maybe some teams are just not interested in him. The Jets make some moves after they bring in strong safety and Amos from the Green Bay Packers as they lose Chuck Clark to possibly an ACL tear. When we come back, we'll get into some Jets, Giants, and the whole league here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week. They are live throughout 25 different networks around the country including our own stream. Check it out by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Our show, The Sports Loudmouths, which airs live every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. They're great guys. If you like good content, you like to laugh, you like great guests, we are the guys to listen to throughout the middle of the week. And, of course, this show that airs every single Saturday. We're very happy to be here on 103.9. Excited for the movement and what we've been doing here for New York sports and Long Island sports. NFL Network Ian Rappaport reports that Saquon Barkley could reconsider the offer from the Giants for $12 million per year. Saquon said that the reports that he turned down that offer were misleading. Saquon also said, I think they're open to talking. I think I'm open to talking, but I think as a whole, I think that we don't have to rush into this. There's still a lot of time left. July 17th is not tomorrow. It's not next week. That's how I look at it. So with Saquon Barkley and the position that Saquon Barkley is this offseason, they still have a lot of time. July 17th is the time date where they can negotiate a deal. I do believe that the Giants will figure this out, especially if he's interested in reconsidering the $12 million deal. I think Saquon just wants the extended deal. I think he wants the years now more than the money. If he has the years, if he gets hurt, he still can consider coming back the year after if he's making that money. So I think the Giants have mentioned they are not looking to extend or restructure Leonard Williams' contract. Saquon had 1,312 yards. 10 touchdowns rushing, and 57 catches for 338 yards last season. The Giants currently have $3.82 million in cap space. The Giants want Saquon Barkley. Saquon is their number one player. Daniel Jones, even though he got the $40 million, they all know without Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones isn't Daniel Jones. I don't want to hear it from people say, without Daniel Jones, Saquon is not Saquon. That's not true. Saquon changed the offense. He's run 78% of the snaps. He is everything to the New York Giants' offense. I don't want to hear about, well, we bring in Darren Waller. He's going to touch the ball more than Saquon Barkley. He's not. Darren Waller hasn't been healthy in three years. Even some of the young players that they brought in, especially in the third round and Hyatt, who a lot of people like. Some people thought was a late first round draft pick. Nobody knows what Hyatt is going to do in the NFL. A lot of these young players never produce in the NFL. How many times have we seen guys be drafted in the first and second round and completely bombed? Now, Hyatt could be a star. Is he a Garrett Wilson? Is he a Devontae Adams? He's not. Maybe he is a second guy. He's a guy that could explode and maybe become a first guy. But right now, everything is run through Saquon Barkley. And the Giants need Saquon just as much as Saquon needs the Giants. Right, and you look at the extra year that he's trying to get to. He's not an older running back yet. He's 26 years old. But running back shelf lives we've seen not be the same way. $12 million a year is what he ends up being worth between the injury and the skill. Because the injury risk is still there. He was out for two years, but this year he was healthy. And he played fantastic when he was healthy. And like you said, was a big portion volume-wise of that entire offense, both rushing and receiving-wise. I think he was the third highest 
most targeted player on the Giants' offense, and that says a lot when he's a running back, even in the passing game, and that makes a big difference for these contract negotiations, and the Giants have put themselves in a tough spot by not trying to extend him earlier in the process, too. If they wanted to trade him, they could have traded him before the draft and gotten something good out of it, but now they're kind of in a tough spot if they can't make him happy right now. Everybody was excited when a story came out that the Jets were going to sign Adrian Amos, signing a one-year deal worth about $4 million, and everybody was like, oh, Chuck Clark and Whitehead and Adrian Amos, the Jets have the best trio of safeties in the NFL, and it just stabilizes their defense going into the season at the secondary, especially in the weakest part of their secondary and their defense last year. And then a story came out right after that, that it is believed that Chuck Clark suffered a serious knee injury on Tuesday morning, being helped off the field and being brought to the back and then getting an MRI, and there was some stories coming out that he tore his ACL. So I think Adrian Amos is a better safety than Chuck Clark, but losing Chuck Clark is a significant loss, especially with the depth that the Jets had a lack of at that position last year. Adrian Amos has been on winning teams. He's been in a winning culture. He played for Green Bay. He played for Chicago. He knows how to win. He's been on good defenses. He's got size. He's got an ability to defend against the better tight ends in the league, and that's been a problem for the Jets in the nickel packages all season long last year. They couldn't stop the tight ends. They didn't have a guy that can have the ability and size to keep up with those tight ends and stop those tight ends because of their great hands or great size for their speed. Amos is somebody, too, that has physicality, too, that could play in both his own type of setup and then also man-to-man on certain tight ends. Now, he's older, so he's not going to take on the fastest of the fastest tight ends. I wouldn't put a man-to-man on somebody like a Kyle Pitts. You need something at this point, and the Jets need that to fill the one real weakness left in their defense conceptually because they filled their run defense nicely between the safeties they brought in, all the defensive tackles they brought in. I don't think that'll be a big issue for them this year. Now, screen passes and tight ends are really the only things left to solve, but I think a lot of that has to do with coaching, too, and they have plenty of depth the way Joe Douglas has built this roster. Dalvin Cook says he is in no rush to signing any contract after being cut by the Vikings on Friday. Cook says he will not settle for a contract worth $5 million. Cook said on the Rich Eisen show that he will prioritize a fit for him and his family, and an organization values him when he does pick a new team. The Dolphins and Broncos were the two teams that are lead teams to possibly get him after his release. Cook has rushed for over a thousand yards in four consecutive seasons. Cook had 1,173 yards, eight touchdowns last season, averaging 4.4 yards per carry. To me, Dalvin Cook is still one of the top six best running backs in the NFL. I was very surprised Minnesota, after him playing almost a full season for the first time in his career, he finally played a full season and played at a high level. The fact that Minnesota got nothing for him is alarming. It just shows you where Minnesota is at. They must really believe in Jefferson and Addison, who they drafted. They believe now, moving forward, they're a throw first team, throw second team, and run third team. A team that's really spread out their offense with Thielen and Jefferson over the last couple of years in Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook wasn't even the first or second option. He still had 1,100 yards last year. Still had eight touchdowns. That shows you how dominant a player he is. What Minnesota was thinking, letting him go and getting nothing for him, makes no sense. Yeah, they're really having to trust their coaching scheme to make it work because they're going to have a one-dimensional offense otherwise. Now, they do have three good receivers. Jefferson's, I think, the best in football, and then Addison, and then K.J. Osborne, who had a nice year, too. And they also traded for T.J. Hawkinson well, so they got enough targets, but will they be able to run the ball effectively with these rookies is going to be another question. As far as Cook itself, yeah, he has every right to seek a contract that's between 6 and $10 million because, yes, he's had some injury issues, and he's 28 years old, but he still is a very efficient running back that has a very good skill set, great secondary move, still has good speed to the outside, too. Even if he's not being used in the same volume, I don't think these teams that are looking to sign him are going to need that anyway. Miami, if he goes there, still 
Bills a great passing attack, too, if two was healthy. The Broncos with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, they still have a great passing attack. So they're not going to need Dalvin Cook to have 250, 300 carries a season, but he's still a very good running back that deserves the money he's seeking. I think Addison, a lot of people liked in the draft with speed and the ability that he has. And some people believe he could be a number one guy on another team if he develops his skill and he plays as the number two with Jefferson. That can open up an absolute dominant force in the open field for a guy like Kirk Cousins who has Jefferson over the last couple of years showing what he could do after losing Stefan Diggs and trading him for the draft rights of Jefferson and now all of a sudden drafting Addison. I just think that this team is explosive but also will be lacking a running back as talented as Dalvin Cook. I don't understand the position that this team has put themselves into going into a new season where they had one of their best seasons as an organization and having a season where the games were so close and losing against the Giants in the first round and now you lose arguably one of the elite running backs in the league for nothing and getting nothing back for him it doesn't make any sense it puts this team in a bad hole that if somehow this team fails this year to make the playoffs or fails this year when they're in a very easy division a division that doesn't have Aaron Rodgers there anymore a young Chicago Bears team it's win or go home this year if they don't do it I think a lot of people are going to get fired including the coach they could be rebuilding because I don't believe Kirk Cousins will be back if that happens and it's the same kind of thing I said with the Giants. Like, what are you going to do with that money now at this point? Now that you did cut him, yes, you saved $9 million. Do you have a defensive plan with that? Do you have some other plan of a collection of running backs with that? I'm curious what their approach is because you're right. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense cutting him. When we come back, we will be talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price here only on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths with me and Speedy every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Thursdays at 9 p.m. Live shows, great content, great guests, and yes, you can call the shows. Tune in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network throughout the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, a guest that we've had on the show before and very happy to have him on again. We are now talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. Trevor, what's up, man? I'm outside in my car. There you go. The bird sing. I look purple. You don't look like a Baltimore Raven. Is that what you're trying to sell us? Pink sweatshirt. I look really wild, but this is what you get. A lot to get into with some of your old teams, the Broncos, the Ravens, and the Jets. All three teams were busy this year. Let's go to the Broncos first, because last year they had Nathaniel Hackett. The Broncos fired Nathaniel Hackett after the first year. Russell Wilson did not look like the player that everybody thought he looked like with Seattle all those years. And then they add arguably the best available coach, trading away a first-round draft pick, which I was shocked that they would do that. But it is Sean Payton. What were your thoughts? to Sean Payton now taking over as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. We had a reunion of the Super Bowl team and I showed up and I took my daughter with me and we met the new ownership group and you can see the seriousness in this man's face when we met him and you can see that the new owner is not a football guy so he's not going to make rash decisions on personnel rash decisions on coaching and say hey this scheme works here that's not what he is. What he is is a man whose family made a fortune going from good to great like the book says the Walton family book and that's what he saw an opportunity how do we go from good to great and start at the top and work your way down Sean here are the keys do what you want we'll pay whatever price and I think now people are starting to see what owning
being and running an NFL team, because now we know more, right? Social mm-hmm. media. What that entails, it is a weird existence because it's a lot of money, but there's a lot of pressure. And how do you alleviate pressure is you get the very best that's available. And the cost be damned, especially when you have that kind of money they have. When the money's not an object, you swing for the fences. I mean, if they could have dug up Newt Rotney, I'm sure they would have. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get some young hotshot coach that's never coached before, and they're not going to do what L.A. Rams did, even though the Sean McVay thing worked out. It's proven commodities when you're that family. What's the proven commodity? What works at Walmart? This works at Walmart. So we know what a proven commodity means, and that's how they're running the team. And then you get the very best people who have a proven commodity, and you give them the keys, and you give them total autonomy. And you say, Russell Wilson, you're not bringing nobody here. You don't have an office. This is all going to change. This man's in charge. You are not in charge. We pay you $50 million a year, but easily not pay you $50 million a year and eat that cap charge because we don't care if we have that much money. And after you put down roots in a town like Denver, build a big house, so he's fighting for his life as well. So have you played against the Sean Payton offense in your career? Is it as complex as people think? I don't remember how complex the back end was. I know the offensive linemen were dirty. I know he teaches that stuff. I remember playing them in New Orleans. They were supposed to be the new physical standard of line play. Mm. And they were just dirty tactics, and they were really wide. They would hit me in my head, and then my helmet came off. A lot of it's old school stuff. Hand the ball over there, and it's one-on-one. The game is not real complicated. You can take a middle school football coach and give him the Colts if he's playing his high school team and he will win. They run Spongebob right, Spongebob left <laughs> and we win. My guys are better than your guys. We can scheme up some stuff but if the guys aren't better, what's the point of the scheme? The scheme design, every offensive scheme is designed to get somebody one-on-one. It's designed to get the running back because quarterback is out of it because he doesn't block. So really you have 10 blocking 11 which means one guy's unblocked, which means running back, you have him. We'll get the rest of them, but you have him. If I'm supposed to be blocked and I make a play, that's how you get a two-yard loss. It's really simple, and people make a big deal of it. It's not that hard. Who's better physically? We are talking to former Broncos, (laughs) Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. And look at the coaching staff that he brought in. Brought in his assistant head coach, Paul Kelly. He brought in Vance Joseph, a great defensive coordinator, a guy that understands how to run a defense. Joe Lombardi, a very good offensive mind. And then bringing in Mike Westhoff. Everybody knows him in New York as a Jet, Miami. I I played for Mike. Yeah. One of the best special teams guys in NFL history. And Sean Payton even preaches that. I've interviewed Mike Westhoff, one of the nicest guys. I thought he was done. 32 years in the NFL. I did not think he was going to come back. And the only way he was coming back is probably Sean Payton. And he comes yeah. from a Bill Parcells type of coaching staff. So what were your yeah. thoughts to the coaching staff that he brought in? You don't see the young whiz kid. I don't think Sean has any patience for that. Young whiz kid coach, whiz bang. Kyle Shan- and those are good coaches. Like Kyle Shannon is going to be an NFL coach for the next 40 years of his life. He'll eventually become the old man. But I don't think Sean has the patience to wait for that to happen. So you get a Mike Westhoff. I played for Mike 10 years ago and he was old then Mike's funny as all hell, but it is one of those things where veteran leadership, age means something, experience means something. The game is not that complicated. Until they say you can play with two footballs at the same time, it's not going to change much. You have people that have been around the game for a long time, have seen it all. There's nothing you're going to throw at them. It's like what Rex Ryan said. I have forgotten more than you've ever known. He almost came to this coaching staff. He was one of the guys that they interviewed. I was rooting for that. If Rex winds up in Denver, they become a different team very quickly. I was like, please let that happen. And it didn't. I was praying for that to happen. You don't like Vance? I like Vance plenty, but I just know what Rex brings to a meeting. Sexy Rexy. What the players would get out of that. Sean's a old school, hard ass coach. They're about to go through it. That gook and mess from the future, that's gone, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, he's not going to be screaming on the sidelines at everybody. Oh, no, no. (laughs) That future pliability, get it out of here. I've heard that Sean didn't want to coach Russell Wilson. No interest in coaching Russell Wilson. I'm sure he didn't. I'm Mm -hmm. positive he didn't. 
You watch that tape, and, well, you wouldn't want to coach him. It's my career. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> I can't take this. <laughs> but I guess he can. <laughs> Not enough money. All my people, they were going to get their guy. They had to give him a piece of the team. They were going to get their guy. Wow. Was, you think they would do that for Sean? Who else was there? Mm. These are, remember, these are not football people. These are not people who somebody's uncle was a GM or a scout and they grew up with the game. No, they're looking at this as an asset. What do you do when you buy an asset? You put money into the asset to make it a better asset. That's a very easy solution. And it's like, whatever we have to do to get this, that's what we're going to do. Your other team made headlines too with the Ravens, Lamar Jackson becoming the highest Finally! paid quarterback in NFL history. Finally! This is something unique. He did it with himself being his own agent. So what do you think of that contract? And do you think this could be a trend? A lot of these players becoming their own agents. I think this is going to become a trend. I was saying this to my kids. I was like, the part of it that I didn't get is you are 26 years old, and instead of enjoying your offseason, you are trading emails with Eric DaCosta. Like, come on. Are you for real? You live in Miami. You are single. He has no children. Lives with his mom. He lives with his mother. And you are spending your offseason, instead of buying million-dollar hypercars, you are trading emails to the Ravens GM. Like, come on, man. But for 3%, you just go, I'll be over here Drinking wet willies. I love the wet willy places. Yeah. yeah, I'll be on South Beach. Y'all let me know when this is finished. But you got to drag yourself through the mud. I just thought it was not worth the million dollars you saved. I think it was seven and a half million. Great. Now you have 195 instead of 203. <laughs> oh, gosh. But you can make that money. You're not going to get that time back that you spent in the media, everybody talking about you. That part I didn't understand. For him, for a quarterback, forget what the money, the money's going to be what the money is. He was going to get $50 million a year one way or another. Whether he did it or Clutch Sports did it, that's what the market rate is. Instead of enjoying yourself and celebrate as soon as the season's over. I went and bought the biggest house and the biggest piece of <laughs> beach land, but nope, I'm trading emails. And the place where I work wants to come see me at my house. Man, get the hell out of here. That's not worth <laughs> it. No I just feel bad for Lamar Jackson because I think that the Baltimore Ravens were playing with him. They were playing mind games with him. If he had his contract last year, he plays in the playoffs. They absolutely win in the first round, absolutely knock off the Bengals, and they match up very, very well against Buffalo. They could have went to the Super Bowl. I believe the problem started when he won MVP. VP, they didn't sign him that year. They would have signed him for 30 million. If you put 30 million from him, he'd have took it. As soon as he won MVP, he said, yeah, three years after your contract, we don't care. We're going to the table now because it's going to just get more expensive. You're not going to all of a sudden fall off a cliff. He didn't. He's not going to. That was a mistake on their part. And the longer you wait, wait do you see Trevor Lawrence's next contract or <laughs> Brock Purdy's, whoever's next. One of these guys is going to make $100 million I, a year. I said it. It's coming. It's as clear as day it's coming. And there's nothing we can do about it. So if we know it's coming, enjoy your time with it. One of the guys that helps run the team, his son play baseball with my son at their school. There's a private school where mm-hmm. we live. I talk to him every time I see him in a game. I'd be like, what are y'all doing? It's one of those weird things. But my takeaway was not the $7 million. My takeaway was not the money. Everybody's going to be rich. But to drag yourself through that for why, I don't get it. With that pink sweatshirt that you're wearing, she'd put why on the front of it. Why with an exclamation point right there. You'll probably make a lot of money off that dress style. It's perfect why? for you. We were talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. Odell Beckham signs with the Baltimore Ravens. He was a hot commodity. He had five teams watch him play on the field. The guy hasn't missed a beat. Would have probably been the MVP of the Super Bowl when the Rams won if he didn't tear his ACL again in that game. He was playing outstanding. What type of player do you believe Odell Beckham's going to be this year? Is he the missing piece for Lamar Jackson to really take that next step? I don't know. I was telling somebody that you have to take away the names and say, look, every team has a wide receiver. Mm -hmm. Replace wide receiver, this guy with that guy. There's no such thing as a bad NFL player. 
that doesn't exist. The difference between Odell Beckham Jr. and the guy that's 13 for the Detroit Lions, it is minimal. It's just who does a coaching staff trust? And sometimes that trust doesn't have any logic to it. I just like the way that guy looks, so throw him the ball. <laughs> you don't know until it shows up. Just because he's Odell Beckham, he's not the first wide receiver on the planet Earth, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, here's a great idea. Let's take this oblong pigskin thing and chuck it that way <laughs> towards that guy. <laughs> Every team has one of those. So to think that he is going to be that much of an upgrade, even with the sum of the Sire receivers that Ravens have, but sorry is a jibble. The difference is minuscule. When Odell Beckham Jr. scores a touchdown, is just inflated. Well, you see, look at Odell Beckham there. Well, there's a hundred guys on planet Earth that can do that. The third string guys in the Lions might get their chance this year with all the receivers they have suspended. Oh, God. Yeah, there you go. So he'll become Odell Beckham Jr. He'll become Odell Beckham Jr. You sure and Odell yeah, doesn't have to become so. himself now? Yeah, he'll be live up to that. Yeah, and there you go. Up to that. They have to throw you the ball, but I can tell you right now, when they put the playbook up there, it says X receiver. It doesn't say Odell Beckham. This is X. You're the X. <laughs> Run that route. X marks the spot. Yeah, X, Y, or Z. Yeah, no, Odell Beckham. No, you're not. You're X. I'm John Harbaugh, and you're my X. <laughs> you're X. Go run the route. If you're open, we'll throw you the ball. Now we'll throw you're my screen. X-rated player. <laughs> Perfect. We saw throughout the year a debate going on with a lot of these players. Cooper Cup was the one that started, and Odell was another one that furthered it, and a lot of guys did it. was the grass versus the turf debate. Where do you stand on that? Do you prefer the grass or the turf? I don't care about either one. As long as I knew he was going to say that. I played in the Raiders' dirt field, so that sucks. I played when New Orleans with a Superdome had carpet. Other than that, it's whatever. I know grass in Florida. I remember being very fast. I grew up in Florida. Mm-hmm. So that track of dirt in Florida and the grass, St. Augustine grass, is different. I run really fast in Florida. So my son runs really fast in Florida. He was like, Dad, I don't know what it is about this Florida grass. <laughs> I said, Sometimes that Florida grass. So everybody in Florida runs so fast. No joke. It's a scientific fact. You run faster in Florida. We are talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. As he says, you can run faster on grass in Florida just because it's Florida. 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 He's selling Florida the Florida talent. So all you Florida guys, you're faster because you live in Florida and you facts. play on Florida grass. Scientific facts. Just remember, you were born in Brooklyn, buddy. So you are a New York native. <laughs> so you can correct. say you were brought up in Florida, but you yeah, are a New Yorker. Is there a reason why there hasn't been any New York players <laughs> drafted? <laughs> we're playing on basketball courts. We can't afford grass anymore. It's the taxes over here that kill I always saw, like, you'd always see, like, college roster. You see some kid from some high school in Brooklyn playing college football. You're like, how? You come from where? Oh, I come from Brooklyn, you New York. You went to high school in Brooklyn in 85? Like, man, come on. You play football in Tim's, man. Come on, get out of here. I was playing field hockey, baby. I was tackling everybody. Yeah, yeah, some guys in Michigan that were from Brooklyn. And I was like, what? They were terrible, too. I'm sure they were, but you're not. We were talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. The New York Jets, another team you played for, my team. They have had a very good offseason. They made the move. They added Aaron Rodgers. Everybody was questioning the trade. They traded from 13 to 15. Everybody was, oh, they gave up two first rounds. No, they didn't. They flip-flopped the first round. They still got the guy that they wanted. Aaron Rodgers has to play 65% of the snaps, which he usually always does. So they're going to lose probably a late first-round draft pick. That's really all they gave up for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's still an elite quarterback, played with a broken thumb. He still led the NFC in touchdowns, and he threw, what, 12 interceptions last year? The guy's the elite, and he played with a team that wasn't much of a team. A bunch yeah. of guys, no-name guys. He made Christian Watson into a star <laughs> as a rookie. What were your thoughts when you heard that the Jets finally land their guy? Do you believe the New York Jets, with the acquisition of Aaron Rodgers and this team, are a favorite to go all the way to the Super Bowl this year? Now that looking in, I don't. Were they just a quarterback away, or were they structurally different? It was it Zach Wilson's fault that they didn't go to the Super Bowl? I doubt it. It wasn't just him. So, replacing one player in a 22-player team, Aaron Rodgers is good for 
three wins. They won seven last year. That's 10. But they were very close in a lot of the games. And it wasn't just Aaron Rodgers that they added. They added Al Woods. They added a lot of pieces. They did. But what they added was a quarterback and a linebacker and a running back and a so-and-so. And every team has a quarterback and a linebacker. The difference between Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff is in the eye of the beholder a little bit. You can't argue with MVPs. You can't argue with Aaron Rodgers' baseball mechanic. You know, he throws like a baseball player. But you also can't argue the fact that Jared Goff also threw for 4,000 yards. Or Kirk Cousins. Everybody wants to dump on Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins threw for almost 5,000 yards. Yep. What's the difference? If you take the camera, watch a football game, and don't watch a quarterback, just watch the ball leave and go to the receiver. You won't know who's throwing the ball. We're going to watch from the defensive line back. We're watching all that, and the ball just goes from one place next. And we keep completing passes. That could be Aaron Rodgers. That could be Raymond Rodgers. You just don't know who it is. So I would like to be a sports fan to say, oh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is in town, so now they're going to win the Super Bowl. But that's just not how it works. I will say that Woody Johnson played for Woody, and I've talked to Woody several hundred times, just like the Walmart people. He's like, the money, I do not care. I have enough money. I'm not getting any younger, and I really want to see this franchise succeed. Woody Johnson is not a football guy, so he wasn't going to be like, Sean McVay, give me a young Zach Wilson thing didn't work. I don't know why you draft a high school kid with his literal high school kid he was a football guy he'd have been like yeah we're not drafting that go get me roger get me peyton manning out of retirement create all the picks i don't care pay him whatever and he said that he's like i only have so much time left and so he wants to enjoy the little time he has left running this organization and see some success he is a good coach so now he's a good quarterback but the last coach picked the last quarterback i'd have been like your decision making process is terrible that's a terrible pick you look at what joe douglas has done his draft picks over the last two years fantastic he had a slam dunk last year how many teams do you remember had offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year? It's very right. few. When you just blaringly miss on the quarterback and everybody knew you were going to miss, the kid is not big enough. You're going to put him in New York City, comes from a small town, he goes from BYU to New York City. He doesn't have the shoulder width or the size or the strength or the composure to deal with the NFL right now at his age and to throw his ass out there. That was doomed to fail. Mm. Everything else he did great. The, mm. the wide receivers are great. The little short Five foot ten linebacker is really great. I'm like, son, you might have a chance. So, are they Aaron Rodgers away from winning the Super Bowl? I don't know. They will be better. They had a top five defense last year, and they're even better than they were last year. So, they could be top three defense, or maybe even the number one defense yeah, in the league. They can be, but also the other teams got better. Right. As well. And they have Brees Hall coming back if he's what he was before he got hurt. That was the game he blew out his knee. They also lost uh, all pro, I believe, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL in Elijah Vera Tucker. In that game, too. He tore yeah, his back. I remember watching Brees Hall run that game. I was like, Jesus Christ. Look at this. He was good, man. He's a good player. They've got the weapons. Garrett Wilson, I've heard so many good things about him. There's a lot to expect with this team. Even Jeremy Rucker, Long Island native, no. he's a guy that everybody keeps talking about. He's looked really, really good on the practice field. I know it's just practice, and it's yeah. without pads. Aaron Rodgers said that at the press conference when they asked him. He believes that they're right where they need to be. But he also said, you're a different player when you're wearing pads than you're when you're not oh, wearing play pads. You're a different player. Not even when you put on pads, when you put on the shiny pads. You put on shiny pads, and the lights turn on, find out who's who very quickly. And when you're not getting hit, that's the difference. You want to know the difference between a quarterback and a quarterback? Zach Wilson is a quarterback. Zach Wilson can throw a football. Zach Wilson does not want to get hit. That is his downfall. He doesn't want to hit because he's a small, slight guy. I think Bryce Young is going to run into that. Like Jim Trotter said, NFL is a genetic league. It doesn't take a whole lot of skill. It's not like hitting a baseball or hitting a golf ball or hitting a three-pointer. It's not. If you're big, strong, fast, you don't mind running other people, we'll find a spot for you. Any NFL player will tell you that, that this is not a highly skilled endeavor. The quarterbacks and receivers are pretty skilled. Everybody else is out there on pure guts and just genetic gifts. Fast twitch muscles and bravery. Fast twitch and bravery and Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew! <laughs> <laughs> I'm all hopped up 
some Mountain Dew. You sure it's just Mountain Dew? Yeah, I just hopped up with some stuff. Well, we know Sean Payton did a lot of those stuff oh, with the Saints. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's about to be a new dawn in Denver. They're going to oh. what? See, maybe the carpet you played on in New Orleans was just the beginning, and now Sean Payton's <laughs> right, uh, the yeah. whole, I whole scheme. You. I wouldn't be sorry if he puts it in the practice field. They're going back to carpet, guys. <laughs> maybe they'll have him play on the mountains instead. You're mile high. Go prove it. Apparently, they're rebuilding the facility. He was like, we'll do all this over again. The owner was like, okay, Mr. Payton, whatever you need. 60 that, million, 70 million. million. We got it. I sleep with 50 million on my mattress. So sure. <laughs> I'm sure he hides it right between the cushion and the box spring. There's 50 million yeah. right there. Save it for a rainy day. Just case I go broke. <laughs> yeah, okay, that guy's never going broke. We are talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. 91 sacks in 187 games. Consistency. When do you believe the NFL is going to be calling you to go to the Hall of Fame? Because thank God Joe Klecko is going to see the day that he's going to watch himself go to the Pro Can. Football Hall of Fame. I want to see that, and I'm actually going to probably drive to Ohio to see that. And the Jets are playing in the game, because I'm a Joe Klecko guy, and I'm a Darrell Rivas guy, so both guys are going into the Hall of Fame. And I believe that the NFL should look at what you have done. You are a first-round draft pick, but you are 28th pick in the first round. It's ridiculous how you are not even called to say that you're on the list of guys that could be going to the Hall of Fame every single year. I've heard this before. Y'all be keeping up with the baby Gronk stuff. With, of course. Uh, Will... Will Compton said something that I've heard my dad say. They don't let wolves in the circus. And so I was never part of the circus. Some of that Hall of Fame stuff is you had to have been one of the people that played the game mm. and were part of the circus. You're a quiet guy. It's not that I was quiet. I just had no interest in doing anything. Stupid. Right. Or even promoting myself and that kind of thing. I wasn't interested. It was my job. It was not my lifestyle. You had to be one of those guys that wears a Super Bowl ring. You have a Super Bowl ring? John Abraham doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. He has over 130 sacks. How is John Abraham not in the Hall of Fame? It is ridiculous. I don't understand. 130 sacks is a lot. It's it's ridiculous. People don't talk about him at all. That makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) He's not mentioned, not even in... Not at all. People forget. We just like that guy. We don't like that guy. And John Abraham and myself, and there's some others. We're just not as good as we might have been. We're just not part of the circus. Guess what? I'm going to start a petition on guys that I think (laughs) should be in the Hall of Fame. John Abraham is one that is a glaring omission, and you don't hear from him. Me and him actually follow each other on Facebook, and I've been wanting to get Johnny on the show. And John, he's very open. He doesn't go out and say he should be in the Hall of Fame. But come on, in that 10-year span, who was better than John Abraham? I mean, honestly, the only reason why he didn't get the respect because he played for the Jets and he played for Atlanta. Players respected him. Yes. Yes. The players, nobody wanted him as like, he was impossible to block. But John was a quiet, unassuming guy. But to have 130 sacks, bonkers. It's ridiculous. And he did it pretty fast. I mean, if you look at John Abraham's numbers. Yeah, like 12 years. He played 100. 92 games. So he only played five more games than you. Okay. more sacks. He had 133.5 sacks. He was impossible to deal with. I remember I him like as a Jet. We haven't had a guy like him forever. The Jets had a whole edge-rushing drought after him. It's well, horrible. Yeah. It's a tough business. I played interior. I played inside. If I'd have got to play in the system Aaron Donald played in, I'd have 300 sacks. I believe it. Run up the field whenever I wanted to. I played with some coordinators and defenses. <laughs> that Broncos defense was fantastic. Yeah. No, we were not. The ones there at the end of my tenure in Denver, coordination was terrible. The earlier ones were good. Yes, was- I remember in 97, 98, the Jets. That's very different. Yeah, I, that not, made me sick not- to my my stomach, okay? I know. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about that team, and that team made me sick. That game made me sick. That was the best chance the Jets had to Super Bowl. And I think the Jets win the Super Bowl if they beat the Broncos in that game. They were the only team we were scared of. 
the Jets were the only team we had any cause for concern with. Everybody else was just like goose poop. We just ran right to the room like the Falcons. Like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, man. Keep up the good work. Yeah. You have so much good information. You're fantastic. You really are. I appreciate it. You should I be a commentator. It. You want me to reach uh, out to ESPN? I tried that once. and I, I think you could do it. If Damian Woody could, uh, could do it, you true. could do it. That's true. I, I could do it now. I couldn't do it then. But I'm, I'm kind of stuck in what I do now. What are you doing now? I run an animation studio. Oh, look at you. I'm making a movie for Disney. Really? Wow. Yeah. Look at yeah. you, man. Doing big yeah. things. You want me to be a voice Hollywood, for one of you guys? Hollywood's on strike, so that's tempo the enthusiasm here. Let's squash some of that. I can tell you what I think about Hollywood. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, can tell, I can tell you what I know about Hollywood. <laughs> I'll throw you a couple curveballs on what I think about it. Anyways, we really appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. An animation movie for Disney. That's yeah. fantastic. And if there's a premiere, you should invite us. We should come no, over yeah. there. It'll be 2025. All right, yeah, man. Let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Ooh, let's do it. All right. Ah, All right, Trevor. Guys. Trevor, you're the best. Trevor Price. See me in the dark. <laughs> Future Hall of Famer. Me and John Abraham. There you go. Together. As one. Together. Same class. You lock fist, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like Tango and Cash. Your Tango, he's yeah. Cash. Or Thelma and Louise. All right, guys. <laughs> Don't Goodbye. you be driving crazy off a cliff, man. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Price. Fantastic. Spoke about the Broncos, the Ravens, the Jets. All three teams changed and have gotten better this offseason. And he went up and down each and every single thing that happened this offseason. And his thoughts to all all those teams. He even thinks that the Jets are not that much better than they were last year, which is ridiculous. I disagree. But he doesn't think Aaron Rodgers is going to win more than three more games for the Jets. Well, I think he's out of his mind. It wasn't just Aaron Rodgers that they added. Very interesting conversation with both Aaron Rodgers and with Lamar Jackson, too. He's having some interesting comments about his process, him becoming an agent, trying to save all this money, yet he's sending emails to Eric DaCosta, as he calls that. He knows all about that Ravens organization. And the guy that we desperately talked about at the end, once again, should be a future Hall of Famer. He should be, and so should John Abraham, as he came out yes. and said he doesn't understand how John Abraham is not in the Hall of Fame with 133 sacks. If you have over 100 sacks in the NFL, you should be in the Hall of Fame. He has 91 sacks, and he's a borderline Hall of Famer. So 133, right. that's 40 more sacks than he had. It's ridiculous. When we come back, it's just Chaz, ladies and gentlemen. No Johnnies, no Wessie, but no problem, as we have Chaz here for Moneyline Mania, only on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Sarah Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live, and if you miss any one of the shows, you can check out Apple Podcast, 1.6 million downloads, and check out all the shows. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. There's no Paulo, there's no Wes, there's no Johns. No, it's just Chazzy. What's up, Chaz? We haven't seen Mo in a while. You won't know where he is if I don't. Here's where we're at. Another great day with Saturdays in Canada in the Canadian Football League. The horse won. That's always great. It's a tough world to be in horse racing because they're dropping dead right and left. But it's exciting when you pick a horse and he wins the race and you get six, seven, eight to one on him. Really a cool two minutes. So what we got is we got... 
full day of Sunday football. I watched every single league now. I like having the football all the time. The problem is it isn't good. The XFL wasn't good. USFL was a little better, but it's not good football. And my son and I are watching games. We'll see some plays. We'll say, hey, look, that was a professional football play. But they're few and far between. This Canada thing, with all the differences, it's so exciting. And the fact that Wes taught me how to handicap, and now we're both pretty good at it, makes it even more fun. But tomorrow is the last two games of the regular season in the USFL. Tough week to bet the last week. No different than the NFL. But the NFL is a good team, and you kind of know what you're doing. That last week, there are people there for one thing, to clean out their lockers. We've got the 4 o'clock Eastern, New Orleans Breakers at the Houston Gamblers. And the two divisions are weird. One division, they're all equal good. Mm-hmm. Six and three and five and four. The other division, they all stink. They're all three and six or four and five. It's the NFL, that bell curve against the spread is different. But when you look at records in the NFL, there's four good teams that are 13 and four. Everybody else is kind of in the middle. Ten and seven or nine and eight. So it's the same thing with the USFL. They've been pretty good. The last three weeks have been doing good with this. So I thought it's stupid to stop it just because it stinks. If you're winning, it doesn't matter if it stinks. Bet it. So we're going with New Orleans here. They're scoring more points every game and they're letting teams score less. But they're allowing less in the second half and you know my affinity for things with second half in them. <laughs> I really believe that's when championship teams do what they do. The better team wins in the second half. New Orleans is playing Houston, but I just like New Orleans. I didn't really focus on Houston. Houston is struggling. Watching the game is kind of pitiful because they show the stands in these games. <laughs> Listen, CFL, there's people in the stand. But count the heads on the sideline when they start the second half and then check it again like with four minutes to go in the game. And I bet some of those Houston guys have already snuck their way into the locker room to clean out that locker. (laughs) So we got Philadelphia at Michigan. I went with the over here. That's a wager that the fact that one or the other teams may have been eliminated may not impact the over because teams are scoring and teams are allowing. If you wanted to be there and you were allowing points, you're going to allow a little more, you would think, if you don't want to be there. It was the fourth game of the weekend. I always do a four-teamer every week with both the CFL, USFL. I've hit them recently, but I didn't hit the CFL because the last game we lost. But I did hit the USFL two weeks ago, all four second halves. And the only way you can bet four second halves over two days with the USFL is you have to be able to use open parlays because you can't Get the line. Every other day, I have open parlays going because it allows you to worry about filling it in later or it allows you to be able to have it because the line ain't out till tomorrow. So you just fill it when the line comes out. Of course, you got to win the first game. The clip we had with Edmonton last week was in the last 18 games, they were 2-16 against the spread at home. That's the kind of stuff where I make notes to myself. Trust the data because sometimes I try to force feed my opinion. Because I got the data, and then I got the stats. Data's a number. You got 234 yards rushing. That sounds great, doesn't it? But the safety on the other team, I wanted to play, snapped his hamstring so loud you could hear it in the stadium. He went down, and the guy scooted 89 yards for a touchdown. So then you see the stats, and you see 12 carries, 234 yards, and you realize, well, something's wrong here. You're not doing that every week. So I got the over in that game, and then part of me is saying, maybe I shouldn't give out this CFL game. Maybe I should make them go to sportsbettingweeklylive.com and watch Wes and I discuss the fourth game. The bottom line is, we're proud of the fact that 
we are on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network with one of the best CFL shows in the nation. Not in Canada. I'm not saying that. There's a couple guys in Canada that are really good. They will cover injuries. ESPN, <laughs> the best Canadian football player, trips over his kid's scooter right in the driveway and breaks his, his forearm as he falls to the ground. You're going to have to... Scroll for four minutes on ESPN to find that. But the guys from CFL that, that cover the Canadian Football League and, of course, TSN, which is their network, that goes right up on their Twitter feed. But I'm comfortable putting our show up as the best CFL podcast in America. Saturdays in Canada. That airs on Thursday. Why does it air on Thursdays? Because it grew up. It was a little bitty little segment, 12 minutes on Sports Betting Weekly, and then it became a 15-minute segment on Wake and Bake, and now it's its own show. It's an American dream. Canada, the American right? dream in Canada. Canada from Canada, make it It's your American dream. It is the true Canadian-American dream. Wes, he cashed Denver futures. He had him at, uh, I think the average was 9-1. to one. Mm-hmm. There was nobody getting Denver anywhere near 9-1 to one the last three months of the year. You had to get that in early. And so he did. But without a doubt, the CFL is as high. He'll get screwed. It's NFL stuff every week. You know, he can go 2-3. and three. He can go 1-4 and four in the NFL. The NFL is brutal some mm-hmm. weeks. But Canadian football, you give him four games. If he goes two and two, you're shocked. He'll roll three and ones at you three, four, five weeks in a row. He's probably the best in the country when it comes to the CFL making picks. I have a couple of games on Sunday. They're all All baseball games, and they're all money lines. At 105 in the afternoon, the Orioles and Cubs. I have the Orioles on the money line on Sunday. Cardinals and Mets. I have the Mets on the money line. On Sunday at 1.40 p.m. Reds and Astros at 2.10 p.m. I have the Astros on the money line. Rays and Padres. Sunday afternoon, 4.10 p.m. Is that here? It's in San Diego, yes. I have the Rays on the money line. Guardians and Diamondbacks. Sunday afternoon at 4.10 p.m. I have the Diamondbacks on the money line. And Yankees and Red Sox Sunday night at 7.10 p.m. I have the Red Sox on the money line. The ultimate plot twist. Do you want me to tell you why I have the Red Sox winning on Sunday Night Baseball? Because in the last three appearances on Sunday Night Baseball with the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Yankees have lost every single one of them. So I am going to go with the numbers, and I'm going with the Red Sox. Maybe the Yankees just sacrifice the game and have Clark Schmidt pitch. I had a run where betting the over when those two played it went on, I think it was 11-1 and one over, and it might overlap the season, and it was just classic three-run blast right and left, you know, 6-7 to seven or 7-6, to six, you know, games mm-hmm. like that. It was, it was really nice. Who was it played in Europe and scored all those runs in the first inning? It was the Giants and the Padres. <laughs> seven runs or something yeah. in the first inning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got Errol's plays. I go a couple different ways with those because this way I'm not handicapping. And I know you guys talk a bazillion more baseball words than I use. But I'll go when they're favored. I'll do parlays with the one and a half just in case. Because, as you know, those pay a lot more. They're harder to hit. You know, I've got the, the money line mania way of wagering, which basically the name came from, from our appearances on this show, which is just making sure they win the game first. And then if they cover, you win a lot. But if mm. they win the game, you do okay. And John from GMF Sports hey. gave us out St. Louis. And the pitcher came in in the ninth inning with a lead. But wouldn't buy more than a run and a half. He walks the first guy. Then he gets two outs. It was five to three. It was. They recovered the run line. 
And he gives up a two-run blast. The next inning, they score three, and then they lose eight to five. I'll take these wagers. They're on. I'll do them in the first half as well. The way I bet parlays is this. A small amount of money for six teams pays you a lot, and I'm just there in case you're right. Mm. Sometimes we're right, and we sweep the board. I've always told people that say, oh, you should never play parlays. Well, you're an idiot. Anybody that says the word never is an idiot. There's always a reason for My something. friend last week played an eight-game parlay and had all of them right and won like 900 bucks. Wow. It was the beef. Well, he called me up last week and he told me, oh, I won an eight-game parlay. And I was like, get out of here. He told me the games. He says, I hit on all of them, all money lines. I was impressed. And I think he said he put 50 bucks down and he won almost 900 bucks. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like a plus is, 820. You know, don't get me wrong. They're all probably favorites. Maybe there's a dog or two thrown in there. If you're playing money line, you're, you're, you're playing 230. 170, 150, 110, whatever you're laying. But the bottom line is when you do six of them like you did, it's a lot of money. And when you do eight, it's even more because it basically doubles every time. So if he won 900 for eight, for seven, you get 450. And for six, you get two something. It's so crazy. But if you're lucky and you hit on all six of them, you go, or eight of them, or nine of them, or 10 of them, you're going to win a lot of money. It doesn't matter how much you put down on it. I think it was like a plus eight. 20 or 850 or something like that that's ridiculous yeah my bottom line is the way i wager if i'm betting eight games one weekend they wanted to go watch ufc fights i said i'm not going out because i know for a fact at a bar watching the ufc fight there's no way they're putting on my colorado buffalo's football game they wanted me to leave my house and watch the fight but i had the seventh game of a first half and the seventh game of a game $15-17er left with Colorado, and it was worth $37.50 for $30. So I wasn't going anywhere. So uh, I understand the concept of when you're right, it's sweet because you cash every ticket. Whenever you want to bet on an MMA fight or a boxing fight, you come to me. Every single UFC fight I've picked, three of the four shows that I picked UFC fights, I was on all the winners. I had a couple of those. They're all the fights at the end. The well, I picked the championship fights because those are the fights that everybody have their eyes on. But well, plus I, for me, it's at the end of the day. You know, it's like nine nine thirty. You know, midnight, twelve thirty, somewhere around there is when they usually go off. Otherwise, I'm not allowed. I'll tell you a funny, quick story. The Beef was betting. DraftKings was giving a hundred dollars on a bet on a UFC fights, but you have to pick three fights. And I said, I don't want to pick three fights because. All the other fights I'm unsure of. So he says, well, you can't get the $100 that they're offering. So I said, okay, take this bet, but I'm not betting on it. I'm not betting on that fight. The two fights that I picked that I was sure on landed on both of them. The two championship fights. The fight that I picked before the championships, I was wrong. And he says, I could have won. I said, you wanted to bet the extra $100. You should have just. You're the one who told me to pick another fight. I was unsure of all the other fights. They're very close fights. I was very unsure with the other fights. But the two championship fights, I was positive on it. The only thing I was wrong about the last UFC fight, I called a knockout in the second round. Yeah, you had the right guy winning, but not the right way. But here's the thing. Normally, if I'm betting, because I bet it. I just don't bet it a lot. I don't watch it a lot. Mm -hmm. If I'm betting it. I'm going to try to take the, the odds on the fight, but then I'm looking for that 6-1, to one, you know, 5-4-1, 6-1, somewhere around there. That is, 
by submission or by knockout or by whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they have what, three or four of them, goes the distance, that kind of thing. What I like to do is I like to guess what's going to happen, but with mixed martial arts, you're just so very unsure. Anything could happen. You can knock somebody out. You can tap them out. On the Sports Betting Channel, we had a UFC show. It was called We'll Go, Won't Go Weekly, mm-hmm. and it totally focused on the Will Go, Won't Go's. The rounds, the over-unders. Billy Vickers was our expert. Very good. But they, these guys recorded it. They're watching every fight, and they're rewinding. Caged in MMA will be back next week. I am going to do one MMA combat sports show a month. And I'm going to go over all the fights and boxing and all the upcoming fights. And, I, and we're going to get some MMA fighters on the show. It's going to be an hour, hour and a half show. If you like mixed martial arts... You're going to like this show back once a month, and it's going to be must-see, must-listen to, so stay tuned for that. Anyways, Chaz, enjoy yourself. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, always be casual. Moneyline Mania, Chaz, not the crew. It's just Chaz tonight. It was fantastic. When we come back, we have some baseball as the New York Yankees and New York Mets went back and forth in a two-game series, 1-1, but... A sticky substance was found on a Mets pitcher. Second time this year, as the Yankees and the Mets have been finding ways to hiding this sticky substance, wherever they are. I believe it's been going on throughout the league. They're just the stupid organizations that are getting caught. When we come back, we will get into that end. Curvin's time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News or Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. Tune in to all the live shows. Baseball is over a quarter into the season. The Yankees and the Mets had their first Subway Series this past week. The Mets are not playing good baseball right now. Pete Alonso could be out a significant amount of time, three or four weeks. Aaron Judge is out right now. It's affected the Yankees lineup. The other day, the Mets, in game number one, were up throughout that game. The Yankees came back and won the game. Max Scherzer pitched horribly, but that's not what stood out. Mets relief pitcher Drew Smith was ejected in the seventh inning of Tuesday's Subway Series game with allegedly having a sticky substance on his hands. The Mets have been subjected two out of the seven sticky substances incidents in the MLB this season. The Yankees have two pitchers in Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt. Domingo Herman twice, Clark Schmidt once, getting caught. I think this has been going on all season long. I just think the Yankees and the Mets have been the worst at hiding it. I think a lot of pitchers are doing this. I know baseball is trying to hide things and trying to fix things. This has been going on since the end of time. Steroids. They were allowing all these players to do steroids in the 90s when baseball was falling all over the place with the strike, McGuire, and Sosa, and Bonds, and Palmero, all these guys. We're doing steroids and helping the game of baseball. And nobody was saying anything. But Selig, nobody. Then all of a sudden, as the politicians got involved with it, as the FBI got involved with it, everybody was getting thrown under the bus. I think baseball should not be changing the game or the rules as much as they've had. The new rule changes, making the bases bigger, good. You want to do that? Fine. More stolen bases opens up the game a little bit more. Fine. Do that. The shifting, I think they should have stopped that a long time ago. Joe Madden really affected the game, and the analytics really took over after the whole shifting thing really blew up in the league with the Tampa Bay Rays. I think baseball 
should stop torquing the game. And what I mean by torquing is they're always trying to find something that they think could make the game better. The pitch clock, I think it's better. It speeds up the game a little bit, but how much? I just think that the way baseball has been played for over 100 years has worked. And changing it any more than they have, it's only going to hurt the game and push the youngsters away from the game to want to play football, hockey, and all the other sports because of the fact that baseball is trying to ruin the beauty of the game and what made the game so special for all those years. And even these rules now, like some of them are actually impactful. This this sticky substance check has just been a, a series of hypocritical processes too. Like Max Scherzer, it took a couple checks before that. He got thrown out in the third inning of that game. Drew Smith's happened like right away. They detected it right away. And then with the Yankees circumstances, Domingo Herman went through it the first time, got to wash his hands, but then the second time got quickly checked. Like which angle are you going to go with this? Like how should these pitchers try to prepare for this kind of thing when you have these other substances on your hand too like there's just no consistency with this kind of thing I didn't see the other two incidents this year one with the Cubs one with Seattle that they had incidents where I don't know how quickly they got thrown out of the game but it doesn't seem like there's consistency in this rule at least with the pitch clock all right it's a set 20 second pitch clock with the uh, the battery eight seconds in the box with the stolen bases they're all the same size so it makes sense this process that they're going through just doesn't make sense and baseball's continuing to lose fans that way too like how many people are going to be annoyed with having to wait to switch pitchers like Jeff Brigham I think came after Drew Smith and got like three minutes to warm up because of how unprepared he was it's just a bad process that they're going through right now and something that's never going to be solved because pitchers always going to find something else to get a grip on the baseball as far as the Mets and the Yankees are concerned the Yankees are 39 and 30 they're nine and a half games out of first place they're not winning the division they could chase the Rays in the second half of the season but they're not winning the division the differential right now for the Rays is like plus 142 wow. to the Yankees are plus 43 and Baltimore plus 43, which are very high numbers. That's still very high. All five teams in the East are plus something. Even the Red Sox that are yep. 35 and 35 are plus one. That says a lot about the division and all of baseball. There is not one other division that all the teams are plus something. The closest is the National League West. All of them but Colorado, which is a negative 75, right. are plus something. That just shows you why the Yankees division is the best in baseball. It's not even close. The Yankees have to play pretty much flawless, uh, no-mistake type of game for the Yankees to win every single night. Right, and they still have to overcome all these injury deficiencies, too, which I think uh, they've done a good job for the most part. It looks a lot Aaron like 2019. Boone, Aaron yeah. Boone's very good at that. I, yeah. I, will, I will give Aaron Boone a lot of credit for that because when the Yankees have all these injuries, they still find a way to win. It doesn't matter who's on the field. If you look at the Yankees roster right now and their lineup, their lineup isn't good. I mean, they have John Carlos Stan, they have Glaber Torres, they have some pieces, but besides maybe one or two other guys, the rest of the team wouldn't start on any other team in baseball. It's actually interesting. I've always said Aaron Boone has been a better manager overcoming the adversity and overcoming the injuries than actually when everyone's actually healthy. I just think that if Aaron Boone doesn't win this year, I think he will be let go. Yeah. I think the Yankees will bring in somebody else. In the last 10 games, the Yankees are 5-5. Five and five, Baltimore 7-3. Tampa 7-3. Uh, Toronto's 5-5. Five and five, And the Red Sox are 4-6. and six, But 
all these teams, every one of these teams are still having a pretty good season. Even Boston, who's 34 and 35, nobody thought that they would be close to 500. They did nothing in the offseason. Right. They just signed Devers, and they gave him a $300 million contract. They're bringing up their youngsters, and they're doing what the Rays did. They're building through the farm system. You look at the Yankees. The Yankees are where they want to be. They're going to be a playoff-bound team. And I love when Josh says, Josh Silverberg, he tells me, usually everybody makes the playoffs now. That's not true. Six makes the playoffs. How could he say that everybody makes the playoffs? Six teams out of 15 teams make the playoffs. That's not a lot. And we haven't seen it like the NBA yet where uh, you have these below 500 teams in the playoffs yet. It's ridiculous. And then the Mets, they're 32 and 36. For all the money that Stevie, Uncle Stevie has spent over the last two years, and Uncle Stevie said it's a five-year plan. Oh, my God. It's going to be more than five years for this team to make the playoffs. They're going to have to make big splashes next offseason for Soto, Otani. They're going to have to add free or somebody. They're going to have to add pitching, lineup changes. There is no way this team is going to win a championship in the next two years. Steve Cohen has owned this team for three years now. He said five years. He's got two years left. And I just don't think that this team is any good. They don't have the players to win a championship. They overpaid for Lindor. He's all right. He's not worth $300 million. Nimmo has played well ever since he got that $180 million contract. A lot of these guys have not played well. Then they lose Pete Alonso, who's going to want a significant amount of money. But before he got hurt, he was only batting 240. This team is not hitting. This team is not pitching. This bullpen is horrible. It's putrid. All the money that they've spent, all the money that this man has spent, this is what they're giving the Met fans. 32 wins and 36 losses. And the Met fans were so excited when the Mets came back and they beat the Yankees in that second and final home game in City Field against the Yankees in the Subway Series. I don't know why. It looked like they won a championship. Well, that's what happens with a lot of Mets fans when they have that much of a grudge with the Yankees. Yeah, okay, it's a rivalry, fine. I understand the passion, especially if you're at the game, but it's one game. It's not going to be one that's going to automatically turn your season Which around. means nothing. Right. The Mets have a big problem when it comes to the starting pitching not getting enough length. And they've never had to deal with this because they've always had good starting pitching, so it doesn't seem like they're used to it. And their bullpen, which pitched so well in the first month and a half of the season, is now one of the five worst in baseball ERA-wise because they've just been so worn out. And even somebody like Drew Smith with the sticky substance check, he had a great start to the year, and he's falling apart too. Adovino, Robertson, all great starts, not pitching well. The only one that's pretty good is Rayleigh, but even the Yankees hit Rayleigh in that second game. The the team that's picked up in their division is Miami. The Marlins are playing great baseball. Baseball. They have great young pitching, and their lineup, they have two or three really good young players in that lineup, and their farm system is loaded. Yep. Derek Jeter, before he left, he, he drafted very, very well. They have some players that are going to really transition. Just like Baltimore, the Marlins are right there. I, I think they have a tremendous amount of talent. And the Marlins, every like 10, 12 years, they win a championship. Yep. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they win a championship in the next four or five years. They've won. They made the playoffs three times in their franchise history and have won two World Series. It's crazy. And they beat good teams. They beat the Yankees in the World yep, Series. Yep, they beat the Yankees and they beat the late uh, 1997 uh, Cleveland Indians, which were a good team, too. 
As far as Atlanta's concerned, we expected this. Yes. They're a good team. They have a great roster. They have a bunch of good young pitchers. And their farm system is one of the top three in baseball. They have a tremendous amount of talent coming up. They have the rookie of the year and the runner-up rookie of the year last year. They get better and better. And Acuna's healthy. You can see he's played pretty good baseball. Albies is back. He's playing pretty good. There's no weaknesses on this team. I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta wins the World Series. Yeah, me neither. I wouldn't be surprised. They're just really, really good. Pittsburgh's had a pretty good season. Very surprised where they are on the top of the Central, but... They're going to be looking to move players at the trade deadline. No matter where they are, they have two or three really good players that they can get a significant amount of talent back for. So I expect Pittsburgh, if they fall out of a playoff spot in any kind of way, to move players like they do every single year. I'm very surprised about St. Louis 27-42 and with the talent that they have in this roster. That pitching is horrible right now. It's just, it's unbelievable. Arizona has Mm -hmm. been the biggest surprise right now in the National League. 41-28, and Uh, they have a ton of good young talent in the outfield. And their pitching staff, their bullpen is as good as any bullpen in baseball. They've been fun to watch. They lost three games in a row, but... They're 6-4 and four in the last 10 games. They have a plus 27 differential. They're good, and, and I expect them to make the playoffs. The Dodgers will make the playoffs. The team that I'm surprised about is San Diego. Yeah, I me mean, too. what is going on with them? They have all that talent. They spend all this money, $300 million, and Soto does not look happy. He's the guy that you know, everybody keeps talking about Otani for the Mets. If Soto is not happy in the offseason, he can opt out of his contract, and he's probably going to do that. He is going to be asking for $500 million. The way the Mets have been just throwing away money, why not pay him $500 million? You bring in Soto to the outfield. I don't know if it will make a difference, but hey, they have the richest owner in baseball. Why not bring Soto, bring in a pitcher, and maybe you, you could turn this thing around in another season or two. The Padres have also had similar issues to the Mets, too. They are spending they spent just as much money as the Mets did this individual offseason, too. Yeah. And they have not been able to find enough pitching. Now, their bullpen's been pretty good, but still, they're starting just like the Mets. They've really been old and just not good. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, it is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Gotta see the pitch. All right, we'll start in the NHL. Buy or sell. Peter Laviolette, the newest Ranger head coach, will be a Rangers coach for at least five years. 100%. I think he's the best guy for the job. I really like that hire. I would have wished that the Islanders were looking for a new head coach because I think Peter Laviolette would have been perfect. Mike Milbury made a big mistake letting him go as quick as he did. And 800, 800 wins later, he's now a Ranger coach. I'm not surprised, and I expect him to be the missing link to help this Ranger team to get back into the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, Stanley Cup finals, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think he's a good stabilizer, and he's dealt with a lot of teams that have been a lot less talented than this Ranger team currently is, and we've seen Chris Drury be aggressive and still has done smart moves with player development, too, and the Rangers deserve a lot of credit. They just need a little more with their center depth and a little more physicality, and Laviolette will help that a lot, so I am going to buy it. All all right, we know John Moran's going to be suspended for a lot of games. Buy or sell? The Grizzlies will trade him. No, I'm going to sell that. They're not trading him. Not right now. Uh, if he comes back and he does it again, he'll be gone. Uh, there's no way they're going to bring him back because he'll be suspended for at least a year after that. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too, also because of the way the Grizzlies operate too. Like I, I think another other teams in that position might consider being impulsive, but the Grizzlies, they've drafted and developed well, so I don't think they're going to try to sell him short. He's too talented. I think he's too talented and too much other upside, and I think they can weather the storm even if he is suspended a long time. So I am going to sell that. All right, we mentioned the Miami Marlins. They have a guy that was hitting 400 at one point. Obviously, you're not just going to finish the season with that, but Luis R.I. is buy or sell. He will hit over 350 this season. 
I am going to buy it. He, he's. He, I remember last year he won the batting title. I think with the Twins. Yes. And now he's with the Marlins, and he's been a big cog to this team and a leader to this team, a young team. So I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. And I also think with that ballpark too, it's very easy to get singles and doubles too. It's the biggest outfield in baseball. So I think that benefits somebody like Arias who, again, won a batting title, but even before the the shift was not put back in play. And now the shift back in play, that is going to help him even more. So I am going to buy that. All right, buy or sell. DeAndre Hopkins will sign somewhere other than the Patriots. I'm going to sell it. I think he's going to be a Patriot. It seems like it's a foregone conclusion. The Patriots need a number one guy, and uh, him visiting the Patriots first out of all the teams that were interested only tells me one thing. The Patriots want him very badly, so I am going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to, I'm going to use your logic of what you used with Dalvin Cook last week. I think the Patriots are going to use the leverage for Buffalo to either sign him more or say, no, we're not going to sign you for that amount of money, and he'll go somewhere else, one of those random teams, or maybe one of those teams like the Chiefs. Who knows? But I'm going to buy it. I think Bill Belichick has been being manipulative at this point. All right. Buy or sell. Both Timo Meyer and Alex Dabrinkit both hit arbitration. They will get long-term deals from their teams. That's a good question. Um... I'm going to buy it. I think both both players are going to get long-term deals. I think they're both talented players and still fairly young players, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think, the, I think the Senators are just waiting on this ownership thing to go through. If there was a previous owner, I would say no, but because he's been very cheap, but I do think he, whether it's Ryan Reynolds or that partner will make it happen, and, and the Devils have so much tap play. They just gave Jesper, Jesper Broad a big contract, and they still have $26 million left, so I'm going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. We heard some rumblings on Stefan Diggs not being happy. Buy or sell. He will get a new contract or a contract extension with the Bills within the next year. I don't think he's going to get a new contract because he's just got a new contract. He's still the the third highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think it has anything to do with contract. It has something to do with him and Josh Allen. So I'm going to sell that. I am going to sell it too, only because I do think they're in a still tough cap predicament right now. I think maybe down the road in his opt-out year, which I think is two years from now, he might get one. 31, 32. Yeah, he might get a shorter deal that might be bigger if he still plays well, because he has been very consistent, but I still don't think he's going to get it right now. I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Zion Williamson will be traded at the draft. I buy it. I, it, this story has legs. I think they want to move on from him. Zion Williamson does not want to be there. He hasn't even thought to want to be there since he was drafted by that team, even signing that $195 million contract. The only reason why he signed it, because he didn't know if he was going to stay healthy, and that was guaranteed money. He is going to be traded. I absolutely buy it. I think he will get traded. I don't think it'll be as quickly as the draft, though, too, because we, we were talking about on the Sports Lab Mouse. There's not a, those teams in the top five are not going to want to take that kind of injury risk. And I think just with his contract being the way it is right now, it's just going to be tough to be able to make that kind of trade impulsively. Now, in a month from now, after free agency starts, I could see it, but I don't think it'll happen that quickly. I am going to sell it. All right, last one. The New York Mets will finish under 500 at the All-Star break. I'm going to buy it because uh, we don't know if Pete Alonso will be back by then. He's not 100% healthy. This pitching staff is old. Quintana won't be back until July, and how much is that going to help him? This bullpen is one of the top five worst bullpens in baseball. I don't think it's going to get any better, and they don't have enough power in the middle of their lineup, and Lindor sucks. So I am going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. If they just can't get, if they can't get length from any starting pitching, it's going to be very hard, and Senga can't pitch on the regular rest the same way. They're hitting outside of Nimmo, like you were saying, and Lindor's been better now, but it's just not consistent. Like There's always just one other veteran guy that hits well. Cannon had his hot streak, Marte, etc. They just don't have enough consistency, and their bullpen's getting worn down because they're 
starters have no length. Even the athletic starting pitchers are getting more length than the Mets. That should say a lot. I am buying it. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a great one. Thank you to Trevor Price, ex-Raven, Broncos, and Jets defensive lineman. He was fantastic. Thank you to, obviously, Chaz for joining us. And I know his guys are doing so very well. And they're some of the best handicappers in the country. So thank you to Chaz and Moneyline Mania. Thank you to all the fans. Thank you to 103.9. Thank you to Bruce and John and Pat and all the guys at 103.9 in our production and producers over there. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, We'll be back next week with new content and new guests. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and all the fathers that we've lost. Happy Father's Day and uh, enjoy your Sunday. We'll talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.